You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert, Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. Listen, if you're like me, you've probably got a lot of things that you want to accomplish in your lifetime. And at no other time in human history have we had so many things distracting us from accomplishing the things that we want, right? We've got so many temptations, all right? Fighting temptations left and right. And many of these things obviously bring us a lot of value. Social media, infinite amount of television shows at our fingertips, but at the same time, they can rob us of our chances at doing something great. And I love this quote from Seneca. He said that it's not that we have little time, it's more that we waste a good deal of it, all right? We've got plenty of time to accomplish great things. And my guest today is going to enlighten you as to how powerful we all actually are in accomplishing great things. But, and there's a big caveat, we do need to take a little bit more control of our time and our mental energy, our mental power. And he was sparked to do so by going on a very, very strange journey that you're gonna hear about today. But I think it's gonna bring back a lot of valuable gifts and insights for you to really take more control of your life and to accomplish the things that you're here to do. With that said, listen, San Francisco Take Control Conference was phenomenal. And I just wanna thank everybody for coming out. San Diego has been on it, just asking so many times if we do a conference there. So myself, Dr. Eric Thomas, the number one motivational speaker in the world and the rest of our team, CJ, who's been on the show, and just some other special guests I'm not even going to tell you are going to be coming to San Diego for the Take Control Conference. All right, so take action right now. Go to TakeControlWithET.com. Use the promo code HEALTH. You get 10% off your ticket. TakeControlWithET.com. Get your tickets like yesterday and come and hang out with us. I can't wait to see you there. This is one of my favorite conferences of all time. Everybody's bringing their A game. And we're going to be talking about taking control of your finances your relationships, and of course, I'm gonna be there talking about taking control of your health and fitness. All right, so take control with ET.com, promo code HEALTH, get your tickets. And by the way, so I'm an instructor as well for our online universities, Breathe University, and last night I was teaching a, a small uh, small class for our students, and we do a Q&A afterwards as well, and one of the the students asked this question, you know, he's he's, he's He's getting up there to the middle ages, but he's really working. He's an athlete. He's a competitive athlete still at this level, and he's working to do a 100-mile run. And first of all, I'm like, I'm in my head. I'm like, why would you do this? You know, why would you even do something like that? I'm allergic. But, you know, it's something really audacious and beautiful and amazing to see what the human body is capable of. And actually, our guest has some experience in that as well, which we'll get to in just a moment. But he was sharing that he's having some issues with fueling his body, with his goal, where he is currently and what he wants to get to. Because he's like, Sean, I don't like greens. I'm just going to be honest. I saw the research. I know how good for me the greens are, the spinach, the kale. But I just can't do it. I can't do it, Sean. And so he had this story. And for me, having the opportunity to speak from experience, because I share with him what I've shared before on the show, I didn't eat a salad until I was 25. All right. 25, quarter of a century until I, until a leaf doth pass my lips. All right? I did not eat it. I couldn't do it. My, of course, I was doing a lot of great things at the time, but the, the, the greens just were an issue for me, you know, because of my palate being set from my childhood. 
But I did, of course, reset my palate. Now things are awesome. We'll put an episode in the show notes about transforming your taste buds, all right, that we did back in the day. But he shared this with me, and I was like, of course, we need to find creative ways to kind of sneak them in there, right? So that's one of the things I did early on was getting that food intelligence in my body, doing the, getting some green smoothies in there, you know, doing some green juices. That Those kind of things are great. However, why not go, not for the eighth or ninth most dense source of things like chlorophyll that you're getting from green vegetables. What's the number one thing? What's the number, what's the top five things? The most dense in chlorophyll and magnesium, which anything that's green is a good indication that it's a super rich source of magnesium, which is, this is responsible for over 325 biochemical processes in our bodies, all right? So that, when I say that, I don't think people get it sometimes, but that means there's 325 things your body can't do or can't do properly when you're deficient in this key mineral. It's the number of mineral deficiency. About 90% of the population is deficient, right? Greens, it's epidemic. So what do we do? This is the thing. Taking a multivitamin to get your magnesium mm, might not work, right? We're getting, it's heavily processed, fill, filled with binders and fillers when we're taking these so-called multivitamins. And a lot of times we're literally peeing our money away. We're not, it's a synthetic thing. There is, it's not a food source. And so your genes have to try to relate to this synthetic data. Why not get the real, whole, dense superfoods that are concentrated, the greens, so that your body can actually assimilate and recognize and use it? What are the top ones? Spirulina, first of all. 71% protein by weight, super dense source of magnesium, uh, astaxanthin, uh, phycocyanin? Phycocyanin, it's a rare compound found exclusively in just like a handful, like five foods that we know about, concentrated in spirulina. Check this out. Public Library of Science published an article finding that spirulina promotes something called stem cell genesis, literally the creation of new stem cells, clinically proven from this food, all right? Can green beans do that? I don't think so. I don't think they can. It's another green sort of vegetable, but let's get the best thing, all right? So we got spirulina, chlorella, right? It's 50% protein by weight, highest food source of chlorophyll. So again, let's get the top thing. And the, the name itself implies chlorella chlorophyll, right? And some other really key factors, super dense in micronutrients as well. These are just a couple of the things that you get in Organifi Green Superfood, all right? This green juice formula is incredible and it actually tastes good. So this is another thing that he definitely is arming him, himself with to get the nutrients that he needs. And the key here is, again, we do need the real whole foods too, but if we're going to do a supplement, get real food concentrates that are low temperature processed so you actually retain and get the nutrients you're looking for. That is the key. All right, so head over, check them out right now. Go to Organifi.com forward slash model. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash model, and you get 20% off. You get 20% off the green juice formula, the red juice formula, Organifi Gold, so many great things that they carry, and they do stuff the right way, all right? So head over now, check them out, Organifi.com forward slash model, and now let's get to the iTunes review of the week. Another five-star review titled, My Favorite Podcast by Justice 77 I'm usually the type of guy that goes along consuming information or products and never taking the time to leave a review. The Model Health Show has been such an inspiration in my life recently that I felt it was my duty to leave a review. 
Thank you, Sean, for creating the show and for putting in so much effort to develop high quality content and to bring in such excellent show guests. Listening to your show inspired a suite of significant changes in my life, including changes in my diet, exercise routine, and behaviors surrounding sleep, mindfulness, and work. I still have a lot of things I'm working to improve in my life and in my relationships, but I know that your show has helped guide me towards the right path. Please keep doing what you do. It makes a huge difference. Thank you so very much for leaving me that review over on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate it immensely. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you've yet to do so, please pop over and leave a review for the show. I'd appreciate it so very much. And on that note, let's get to our special guest and our topic of the day. Our guest today is Jesse Itzler, who only eats fruit until noon, loves Run DMC, and enjoys living life out of the box. Actually, he doesn't even have a box. He co-founded Marquee Jet, the world's largest prepaid private jet car company in 2001, which he and his partner sold to Berkshire Hathaway, NetJets, owned by Warren Buffett. He then partnered with Zico Coconut Water, which they sold to the Coca-Cola Company in 2013. He's a former rapper on MTV, and he produced and sang both the NBA's Emmy Award-winning I Love This Game music campaign and the popular New York Knicks anthem, Go NY Go. Itzler is also the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Living with the Seal, and his latest book, Living with the Monks. When he's not running out tra- uh, training for his next 100 mile run, as I just talked about, he's being a dad. And also he could be found at Atlanta Hawks games where he is an owner of the team. He's married to Spanx founder, Sarah Blakely, and the couple and their four children live in Atlanta, GA. And I'd like to welcome to the Model Health Show, Mr. Jesse Itzler. What's up, man? What's up, man? That's a great, that's a great intro for me. I know. You've, I, I'm telling people you're the most interesting man alive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that, man. Well, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. I'm, you know, if I'm coming through St. Louis, I got to stop by here. So For sure. Thanks for making I some love room that, for man. me, man. Thanks Thank for you. making some room for me. Thank you. I received that, man. So let's start with Run DMC. All right. Sure. It's, we can make this like a brown sugar moment. When did you fall in love with hip hop? Well, I grew up in New York. Yeah. So I grew up, I'm a product of the 80s. Yeah. So I grew up, you know, when hip hop was just emerging. Right, right. I got into it super early. I would run DMC were my Beatles. And I was lucky enough later in life in my, I don't even know, I guess my early, late 20s to manage run DMC. Wow. So I sh- actually shared a desk. I was partners with Jam Master Jay, who got killed, the DJ. Yeah. Uh, but we shared a desk in my office for four years together. So I was super close, still am, super close with the group. And uh, always been a, just a big part of my life since I was a kid, basically. That's a good, actually, I didn't even know that this was going to come up. but I got to manage my heroes. Right. Man. How in the world, because a lot of people, they might have those aspirations, but how did you get in that environment like that? Like everything in my life, it wasn't planned. Um, I bumped into Jam Master Jay at a conference. We had, at the time, I was in the music business, but I had, I had basically, I established myself right out of college. I signed the record deal. I was a signed artist, but my record career didn't go as planned. Then I got dropped from the label mm. and it get picked up for a second album. So I, I pivoted and I started doing jingles and writing uh, theme songs for professional sports teams. I was super young. And I literally created this category of writing sports songs, theme songs for pro teams. Nobody else was doing it. Yeah. And I set up a booth at a at a conference. I don't even know how I ended up at this conference. 
and Jam Master Jay was at the booth speaking at one of the booths next to me. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? So um, I introduced myself. We're both from New York. The conference was in Atlanta. I told he knew the Nick song that I had written. And I said, you know, would you would you collaborate on something? And three weeks later, he had moved his record company, JMJ Records, which had 50 Cent and Onyx on it at the time, mm. to my office. And we shared a desk. And that was it. That's yeah. an awesome story. Like I'm just enthralled, but that's one of the things you even talk about in this book in living with the monks and how people oftentimes they, they spend a lot of time looking for perfection, planning, and you think we should just kind of take action and get into stuff and figure it out. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big believer in, in, um, creating your own luck, putting yourself in a position where luck finds you. And, uh, that's what I did in that, in that particular environment. I could have just went and listened to him speak and, been a fan and taking a selfie, et cetera. Right. But I really wanted to put myself in a position where we could it could grow into something bigger than that. And that's how I've always lived my life. I've always lived my life, you know, if I if I find someone interesting or inspiring or someone has is in a position or has a business that I want to get involved with, I track them down. I become their friend. I I just make it happen. In fact, it's already hap it's already happened in my head. I just have to make it happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, you know, I'll show up, I'll bump into him on the street. I'll I mean, it might sound stalkerish, but it's just I put myself in a position yeah. for luck to find me. Man. Or I try to. That's awesome. And like you said, even bumping into people, a lot of this stuff seems random, but it's kind of not. And I shared this, we've done some episodes about this, but the human mind is so powerful, man. So what is like your focus, you just said it, you're already friends with them in your mind. And there's parts of our brain, like the reticular cortex, and it's like constantly scanning and looking for data to help to affirm whatever you're focused on, you know? So if you have this certain belief, you're gonna see that thing existing in the world when somebody else might see something totally different. It's you know? true. And so just by you having that focus, like these random happenings don't just happen, you know, so. No, I mean, I'm um, a big believer in visualization. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And obviously, it, so a lot of your lessons and experiences are in that book, and so we just gotta, Already, man, we got to have you back on the show to talk more <laughs> about that. But can you talk about the catalyst, where you came up with the idea of going to live with monks? Yeah. Well, first of all, I have four children. I'm married. Uh, I have a very, I have a busy life, like like we all do. But I'm a big believer in flipping the traditional model of building your resume and turning it upside down. And I believe in building your life resume. And that's what makes me tick. I'm fueled by experiences and I'm very, very aware of my own mortality and how much time I, I have left to do the things that I wanna do. So I have a very, very big focus on and belief that if you build your life resume, you could be a better employee, you can land your, your dream job, it can help you get a promotion because the more you experience, the more you have to offer. Yeah. And you know you just become more interesting and you become more invigorated. So this journey was part of that, building my life resume. But what happened was I realized that I'd focused so much on the physical side for years of my life. I have a trainer, I've run marathons, work out, just like everybody else. I've invested so much in that. So much of my daily time is in training or working out. And I've invested very little time in the spiritual and emotional side. And I believe that our greatest secret weapon that we all have, we're all armed with it, and it's really guided me my whole life. It's been my superpower. And when you get a 980 on your SATs, you gotta rely on this, and that's instinct. Am I 
intuition and my instinct was, which is my superpower, it started to go away because I'm, I got Siri, I got Alexa, I got the news influencing me. I can ask Alexa questions. I'm getting bombarded by, you know, social media and, and text messages and emails. I'm losing my superpower because I, I, I don't spend any time alone. I don't spend time thinking. Yeah. Alexa thinks this thinks for me. Google thinks for me. Right. So when I started thinking about how how can I really start to get better on that side of my life, everything pointed to monks. Like they're the masters. You want to learn about finances? Go to Warren Buffett. You want to learn about mental toughness? Go talk to a Navy SEAL. But you want to get like emotionally in tune with yourself and and really strengthen the gratitude muscle? Go live with monks. So I decided to give myself an adult timeout and go live on a monastery. Man, like even hearing this story again, your wife knew what she signed up for. It's just like, <laughs> how do I communicate this? You know, and I think it's 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 such a great um, opportunity. I think just even having the opportunity to take that time to do that because some, like you talked about in the book, some monasteries or to go live with monks, like it's a you know you got to sign up for a couple years. You know, you're not going anywhere, but you found this particular place where you went and spent um, a certain amount of time, 15 days, I yeah. believe it was, and just pulled out so many lessons, which you didn't know you got at the time. Right. And so hearing your stories throughout the book, but really quick, I want to highlight something here sure. because it really struck me because I had a similar situation happen. You said that a few years ago, I realized I was watching an awful lot of football, college games on Saturday, NFL on Sunday, Monday, and Thursday, you know, they threw them Thursday games in there. And were my uh, viewing schedule. It was excessive. And while I did love watching the games, I calculated that if I kept up on this pace and lived to be 82 years old, I'd spend, waste another 36,000 hours of my life watching football. 36,000 hours. Yeah. When I had to go to the monastery and my wife said, no, I'm like, I freed up 36,000 hours. I took the, <laughs> I pulled the TV cord out of the wall. It's true. Yeah. You know, you have to remember that a lot of things that we do, everything we do is cumulative. Yeah. It's cumulative. So, and everyone's like, uses this as an excuse. They use moderation. You hear like, oh, everything in moderation. But the reality is moderation can be an excuse. If you have an mm. ice cream cone every single day, you're like, I'm only having an ice cream cone today. I'm having one ice cream cone. What's the big deal? But you do it for 10 years. You're going to have 3,000 ice cream cones. That's a big deal over time. And... I just started again. It goes back to my relationship with time. Yeah. You know, people think of relationships in terms of people, their kids, their parents, but they don't look at the most, one of the most important things is your, your relationship with time. Mm. And I started looking at this and like, I'm doing three hours a day. That's not a big deal. I'm watching a football game. That's what went through my head. What's the big deal? Yeah. I'm watching a football game, man. Yeah. But when you add up Thursday, Saturday, college, Sunday night, Monday night, fantasy football, all that stuff, which I love. Over the next cumulative 30, 35 years, that would have been 36,000 hours of my life. That's a long time. Yeah. I can't do the math in my head, but it's gotta be a year or two of your life, of like your life. Yeah. And um, that's, you know, like, I don't even remember if the Jets beat the Bills three years ago. Right. You know, like, who cares? <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, man. It matters in the moment. And it, and I I still watch football. Yeah, I enjoy yeah, it. For but, sure. But I, I became aware of it right. and I eliminated it because you know what happens as you get older? Do you have kids? 
I do. I have three, yeah. Okay, congratulations. How old are they? So t- 21, 18, and seven. Oh, grown, grown, grown. And seven. Okay, and seven. Okay, so you're in Started it. Started over. You're still, you're still <laughs> in it. You're still in it. Something has to give. As you put more on your plate of things you want to do, for you it's a podcast, it's business, it's changing lives, it's inspiring, it's growing growing this followers in your podcast, all the stuff that you're doing. As you do that and you spend more time, something has to give. Yeah. Either you're going to spend less time with your family or less time watching TV or or whatever, right. but you can't keep putting stuff on your plate and expecting that ultimately it's going to overflow. Yeah. So for me, I with four kids and a business and a wife and hobbies and all kinds of stuff, the easy thing to eliminate was the stuff that wasn't moving the needle in. I have four buckets. I have my wellness bucket, my family bucket, my personal bucket. And then I have like causes that are like I'm passionate about plus friends and in a miscellaneous, but those are like my four buckets. Yeah. If something is not moving the needle in one of those four buckets, at this point in my life, I just turned 50, that's a waste. It's just a waste. If it's not helping with my family, my fitness, my wellness, my business, it's a waste. And I try to eliminate it. Yeah. So That's respect because, and you've heard this as well, a lot of people are, you know, they, they pipe on and kind of hold up that sign of like, I just don't have the time. I want to work on my fitness. I want to have a great relationship. I want to make more money, but I don't have the time. And the reality is we all have the same 24. And to see what somebody like yourself is doing with that 24 hours, but real talk too, we all do need downtime for sure. Yeah. But some of that, like, and I, like I said, I had a, a similar experience. I was in college. This was my last semester. I was already a strength and conditioning coach doing pretty well for myself and but I was watching every baseball game like every and they play a lot of games man you know St. Louis here you know it's baseball heaven is what they call it you know so and I know all the stats I know everybody's you know their I know their kids names you know I'm just watching I'm doing my homework got the game on and just one day it struck me I'm watching them be great and I'm saying I don't have time you know because I got school and I got you know, this business I'm trying to build and help people and I'm trying to learn stuff, but I'm just like, I'm, I'm at a stalemate and I realize I'm watching them be great. Yeah. I'm not even playing the game. I don't plan on playing the game. And so it just changed. And for me, I went like cold turkey and I just like literally turned off my cable for a couple of years. And I grew so much in that time, you know, and of course, like I would still watch movies here or there, whatever, but I just focus on my own greatness instead of watching other people be great. And with that said, you know, Again, it's cool to watch football, but I would watch the game. Yeah. Then I watch the game after the game. Then I watch people talk about the game <laughs> for an hour and watch the highlights of the game I just watched. And then I'm like, oh, I'm busy. No, I'm not. You know, so we have to really identify. You said it. Awareness is the key. You know, awareness trumps everything, begins that process. So, yeah, that's awesome, man. And then so you taking this trip, having the audacity, like, okay, I'm going to go live with monks. And so you're driving up there, but you don't really know what's in store for you. You got right. monks in your head, like a certain picture, but it wasn't what you thought when you got there. Right. I thought that all monks were Buddhist and were totally silent and they spend their whole day meditating every day, all day. They eat a little food, they go back to meditation because that's what I'd seen in movies or that's yeah. what I thought. So I didn't want to do any research because I didn't want to have any kind of, I don't want to get 
have any anything like steer me in the direction of what my expectation should be. I just wanted to experience it rather than have a preconceived notion of what I thought it would be. Mm. So I just really tried to go in there as cold as I could. And to my surprise, they weren't Buddhist monks, they were Russian Orthodox, which I didn't even know what that meant. Right. Uh, and they were for a living to keep the lights on at the monastery. They are the largest breeder of German shepherds in the United States. So they had 11, there were eight monks that had been there for 50 years. Most of them had been there for 50 years, 11 grown German shepherds. And then they had puppy German shepherds. And then they had a, they had a side hustle. They trained dogs too on the, that people would drop off. So it was like all these dogs, eight monks and me, and you know, no contact to the world. I had no email, no phone, no text, no TV, no radio, no internet. I had a, my room was the size of a ca of basically your couch, eight feet with it, with a light and a desk. And that was it. And I showed up there. I, you know, I, that was just, it was a complete shock from my hectic life right. and, and, um, so having did, a million things coming at me. How'd you deal with that initially? Not well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I walked into the room and the main monk, uh, I, the main monk, but the, the, the monk that was assigned to me, Brother Christopher, walked me around, gave me a tour and put me into my room, which they call a cell. And it was six o'clock at night. And he said, tomorrow morning, we're gonna start our day at seven in the morning with prayer, reflection and meditation at 7 a.m. I said, great, it's 6.15 p.m. Mm -hmm. What do I do for the next 13 <laughs> hours, man? And he looked me at the eye, in the eye and he said, you sit here and you think. And I was like, whoa, oh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't really ever think. So I closed my door and I started to try to meditate. I'm like, let me take this time. I took a crash course in transcendental meditation. Let me try to meditate. Yeah. And I set my timer for 20 minutes. I sat in my chair and I tried to focus on my mantra and immediately I got bombarded with all these thoughts, you know, like, what are my kids doing? What if my wife doesn't like me when I get home? The Atlanta Hawks might stink this year. Like every, it's all coming at me. I couldn't get my mantra. And I tried to calm down and I sat there for what felt like hours. And I was like, how come my timer hasn't gone off? Like I said it for 20 minutes. I must not have said it. Mm. Let me just get out of this meditation and set it so I can hear it beep in 20 minutes and I can go on my merry way. But I was like, no, that would be cheating. So I kept focusing on my mantra and I kept going back and forth. And this finally, I'm like, man, the timer hasn't gone off. So I open my eyes and I go to set my timer and I look at it, two minutes and 37 seconds. <laughs> and I just started calculating how much time I have left. And I'm like, I'm here for 15 days times 60, you know, 60 minutes times 24 yeah. hours. And I was like, how am I gonna do this? How am I gonna do this, man? And that was the start of my journey. Absolutely nuts, man. And I think a lot of people can identify with that for sure. You know, and I don't even, know. You know what, Sean? Go lock yourself in a closet for an hour and tell me how you feel. No, like, I'm saying no, like 15 days. It was crazy. Just the, the concept of trying to be with your thoughts, you know, trying to just sit and be still. Yeah. You know, a lot of folks, it's a big fear. It's you not know, easy. I, I think. And for you to, like you said, there's all of this random stuff coming at you and that's just rattling around in our minds. And when you said it, he told you just to think. When's the last time? I remember, I mean, we grew up at a time where we didn't have access to all this stuff. So there was time that we kind of spent thinking or by, our, by ourselves. And we don't really have that. We're so 
if we have some time, what do we do? We grab our phone. Of course. Right? And so I think that we're missing out on some of the big ideas, some of the big aha moments that are within us, not something external, right? And so having that experience, the next day, I think, and you still didn't know that they, they were training dogs here. No. And I so didn't. when did you find that out? Uh, so each day I was going to shadow one of the monks in their daily responsibilities. So the next day I got up after prayer service and meditation, we had a silent meal, which I ruined because I didn't know it was silent. Um, and then they assigned me to um, one of the monks who told me that we were going to the training center. So I thought that that was probably the spiritual center where a lot of the hardcore meditation mm -hmm. goes and maybe it was dark or whatever. And then they walked me down to the training center and it's filled with dogs. And it was a dog training center. So my job, my first job was to be the distractor, which meant that they were teaching the dogs how to, you know, walk on a leash while people are running around and there's all these distractions and have the dog not be distracted. So when this dog goes back to New York City, where it lives, it can go through a park and not be distracted. And it was interesting because after a short, a couple of days, they took dogs that were complete terror. I mean, not, I wouldn't say terrors, but just no manners. Yeah. To, I could have waved a pork belly in front of them and the dog would have kept going. And I asked the the monks, like, how do you how did you do that? How did you train this dog to not go near me or any of the dogs or at all be distracted and just get to its goal to go from point A to point B with no distraction and pure focus? And it was like one of those karate kid moments, mm -hmm. you know, when I realized that they were waxing on and waxing off with me, mm -hmm. that I was gonna start to learn through this journey through these different techniques that they teach the dog, how they teach the dogs, how I could apply them. And he just said to me, it's just like life. There's distractions all the time. You just talked about your phone, football games, all this stuff. But to get from point A to point B, you have to be able to get through the distractions. Right. You have to train yourself to be able to get through those distractions. And you know that set up a series of really life lessons for me mm -hmm. throughout this journey. Of, of 15 days. And I did have some, some great breakthroughs there. I wanna take a step back really quick before we talk about some of those sure. lessons you picked up. You kind of shared a lesson with them that I thought was such an interesting part of the book in talking about everybody wants to find happiness, but you say that you look at happiness as a lifestyle and not a goal. Right. And you shared two stories with them. You know, one involved dancing and the other involved the sale of your company. Can you sh share those stories? I think they're just really incredible and it makes a great point. Yeah, well, I do. I think people think there's a lid on happiness and I don't. And I think it is a choice. I think that it's a lifestyle and it starts with gratitude, which we hear all the time. Um, but I don't feel, very often we don't feel grateful unless something tragic happens. Like someone, you hear someone gets sick or gets someone dies, someone's in the hospital, like, oh my God, I feel so lucky. I And then the next day you, it's gone. Yeah. You know, like I don't feel like I need someone to pass away in my that's close to me for me to feel grateful. I have a deep, deep appreciation for where I am, what I have, knock up my kid, everything, you know, yeah. every day. I say it to my wife every day, like, do you understand how lucky we are? And I'm not talking about money at all, but just, you know, so that's the starting point. But 
when I first started, my dad owned the plumbing supply house in Long Island where I grew up. I didn't, you know, I wasn't handed anything. And uh, my first job was as a break dancer. And believe it or not, I know I don't look the role. The camera guys are laughing <laughs> we at gotta me. We got to get some of that They're laughing the at show. me, man. They're laughing at me. But I grew up in the 80s when I was, you know, 15 years old, whatever. So I decided, I, I realized that there's no way the kids in Washington, D.C., there's a lot of competition in New York. We're as good as the kids in New York. Like, we mm. invented this stuff, man. Yeah. So I convinced my sister, who had just got a driver's license, to drive my friend Myron and myself down to Washington, D.C., and we would set up at, like in Georgetown for a couple of hours with the boombox, dance, and make some money. So we go down to Washington, D.C., we're driving down there, I'll give you the fast version, and we set up our boombox and you know, in this little parking lot, hit play, people start to gather around, Myron does his thing, he passes it to me, I do my thing, couple hours pass now we got a big crowd I take my hat off I pass my hat around to get the money we collect like maybe two hundred dollars or something I pay I pay my sister for driving us down you know the gas money we separate some money for lunch and dinner and Myron and I split like eighty two dollars forty one dollars each and I give yeah. him his forty one I get my forty one and he counts it up and then he looks at me 15 years old and he comes over and he gives me a bear hug and he says man Jess we're fucking rich. You know, he's like, we're rich, man. And we were, because like I realized at that moment that if you, and I was scared the whole ride up thinking about what if nobody shows up? What if we're not as good? Um, but when you overcome fear and you put yourself out there, you can get rewarded for doing things that you like yeah. and you can make people feel good. It was a great feeling. It was the start of my entrepreneurial journey. Fast forward 20 years later, I was um maybe it was 25 years later let's see 15 yeah probably 20 years later um i built this company marquee jet we did five billion dollars in cumulative sales we get the phone call we're selling the company to warren buffett and i just remember that i remember at that moment and this is going to sound like you know a movie or like i'm making it up but it's not i remember maybe not in that exact moment but certainly now that I didn't feel any more happy when we sold the company than that moment and we made you know more money mm -hmm. than when I made $41. I really didn't. I mean, yes, did it change my life? Did it impact me? But it wasn't like on if I was weighing it on a scale, like, oh my God, I was so much more happy because we made this money. You know, I really wasn't. So in between those two extremes of $41 and selling your company to Warren Buffett's, you know, Berkshire Hathaway, in between those two extremes, what is the gatekeeper mm. between happiness? And I've realized that we spend a lot of our time focused around trying to put as much on our plate of the things that make us happy. You like watching baseball back in the day, you'd watch a lot of baseball. Whatever it is that we, you like ice cream, you eat ice cream. You do things that make you happy. But we shy away from fixing the things that make us unhappy. Mm. So like if our marriage is broken, you know, are you investing the time if, to fix it? If you're overweight, are you investing the time to fix it? If you have a messed up relationship with your parents and it's making, are you investing the proper tools and time to make it better? And the answer is, we usually put most of our energy more into the things we like. Of course we do. It's easier. Yeah. 
Right. I'd rather eat ice cream than try to run four miles, you know, to lose the weight. But you have to fix the things that are broken to become more happy. So the first thing you got to do is you got to identify what it is that's making you unhappy. Like what are the two or three things? I have a very simple test to identify it. You want to do it? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So think about anyone listening can do this. Camera guys, you guys can do it. You think about everything going on in your life, where you live, your relationships, your marriage, your kids, your financial status, everything, your health, and put them into a giant blender, okay? On a scale of one to 10, with uh, 10 being the Dalai Lama of happiness, and one being someone that's rock bottom, when you take all of these factors in your life, what is your number? Mm. What's your number? What's your number, guys? Six and seven's cool. Five or six is cool. I might say nine. Nine's a great number. Let's start with the five and sixes. So five and six, and you said six kind of like psyched about it. You weren't like mad about it. Six is cool. Six out of 10 is cool. But the reality is if my nine-year-old son comes home with a six, a 60 on a test, that's an F in the most important bucket of your life, mm. happiness. Five, that's an F minus in the most important bucket of your life. Even a nine is an amazing number, but it's still, an a, it's still only an A minus. Yeah. It's not an A or an A plus. But what I love about the test is your brain automatically, when you put all those things into a blender, mm -hmm. goes to a 10. And then immediately the two or three things that pop into your head that bring it down are the things that, you, that make you unhappy. Those are the things, whatever popped into your head that made you a six or your head that made you a five, whatever came in, because only two or three things probably hit you right away and said, oh shit, man, I'm, I'm a six. Mm -hmm. Whatever those are, that's what you have to work out. You got to a nine. Something had to come into your head to be like, I'm not a 10 because I, I need to work on yes. this. Yeah. Whatever that is, you don't have to share it with me. But whatever that is, that's what you have to work on because you're gonna stay a nine, man, doing the things you're doing. But if you fix that one thing, it's probably usually it's about your a relationship. If you fix whatever that is in your marriage or with your kids or with someone that's pissing you off, then you can then and only then can you go from a nine to a nine and a half to a ten. I'm not saying it's easy to fix it. I'm not saying you will fix it. But what I am saying is you have to identify it and work on it. Otherwise, you're always going to be a nine, which you might be happy with. Yeah. Wow. Man, that's that's really powerful. And I hope everybody just took the time to think about that. And that that visual, like you said, it goes to 10 because I'm like, ah, oh, 10. Then I was thinking, oh, wait. And that immediately starts yeah, to detract. Oh, what about this? Yeah. Oh, no, I got that. Oh, shit, I'm a nine. Yeah. I'm a nine. I'm a nine. So, you know. But also a part of that. And because I can see myself being a 10 and it's not necessarily, even if it's a, if it's a relationship, for example, it's not necessarily something that you need to fix with a person. They might not be here anymore, but you fixing it with you. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So that's such a great uh, piece of advice. And Man, I don't even understand how people can um, not work on themselves. Like, I just don't understand how you can go through life. You get one life. You don't get a redo. We'll never have another 2018. You got a couple more. You just, you just, it's done. You're never getting your 20s back. I love you, Sean. You're never getting them back. In one more year, you're never getting your 30s back. It's done. The average American lives to be 78. 
if you're average, you got 38 years left, okay? 38 summers. That's all you got. Your 70s aren't going to be like they are right now in your 40s. I don't even understand how someone could want to could go through life and not want to and want to be and be okay being the 80% version of what they could be. I just don't understand it. Like you had mentioned like, oh, well, so let's say somebody doesn't want to work out or something like I don't see how you couldn't you don't invest in yourself first. I just don't get it. Like I said to someone, I have a test. I teach this course called Build Your Life Resume. And in my course, I ask people, what if someone gave you $10 million, what would you want to do? What would you do with it? And most people think about it. And first of all, I'm like, how do you even have to think about it? Like, don't you know what you want, you know, out of life or what you would want to do? I mean, what are you working for? But if someone gave you $10 million, what would you do with it? And two things are, are very interesting. The first thing, the first thing is if someone gave you a uh, $10 million, the first thing is that most people say they would go on a trip, they would buy something, they would donate the money, they would do whatever, whatever, you know, whatever's on their list, but it has nothing to do with investing in themselves. Like if someone gave me $10 million, I'd hire a chef, like an organic <laughs> chef. Yeah. I would do things that would extend the quality of my life. Yeah. I wouldn't buy a Rolls Royce. I would do things that would extend the 60s, 70s, and 80s years of my life. And that's the first thing that was interesting. The second thing is that most of the things on people's lists are things that they could do now. Like my friend's like, oh, I'll move to California. And I'm like, move. nobody's moved. Why are you $10 million, <laughs> man? Yeah. Move to California. Yeah. What are you doing? You always want to live in California. He's like, oh, the time's not right. Da, da, da. I'm like, well, the time is never right. That's the thing, yeah. You know, like everyone. So it's just interesting when you put it, you know, when you start to look at things like that. And that's one thing that happened at the monastery. I put myself in a position where I could ask myself a lot of questions, you know, and try to like really figure out like, man, what do I want and what makes me tick? And instead of just going through life in a routine, because in a routine, time goes fast. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you wake up and you're 70. The average American gains two pounds between 35 and 60. Now you're 50 pounds overweight. You're 60 or 70 years old and you can't do the things that you wanted to do. And now it's over. And that means you now are going to have regret of what you didn't do. That's the last thing I want. That's the last thing I want, man. I don't want to wake up and be like, I, oh, I regret that I didn't do this. So you got to think about it. You got to spend time and think about what's important to you. And um, I'm not telling anyone how to live their life. I'm not a guru. I mean, I'm not Wayne Dyer. I'm not any of that. I'm just telling you, for me, these things are really important and they work for me. And I think it's important that you give a little time and think about this stuff. Awesome, man. It's so so many powerful insights and you got some real world benefits that you drew, drew out in the book. This is actually where I'm at now. And I took time, I read every single page. I didn't skip anything because <laughs> the stories were so good. And so this is where I'm at now, I'm not done yet. So I wanna ask you about some of these hashtags that you got from your experience. And we're gonna do that right after this quick break. So sit tight, we'll be right back. Don't sleep on sleep. Today, there is a big revolution happening to improve our sleep quality because we're understanding finally just how much our sleep quality impacts our physical performance, our brain function, and literally impacts our body composition. Sleep deprivation is something that can directly lead to increased fat gain. 
and an inability to lose weight as well. With great sleep, we see an increased ability to burn fat, like the research that was done by the International Association for the Study of Obesity that found that our sleep quality, namely a sleep-related hormone called melatonin that everybody's heard of, increases your body's production of something called brown adipose tissue. This is a type of fat that actually burns fat. And the reason that it's brown versus the white adipose tissue is brown adipose tissue has a lot more mitochondria. And these are the energy power plants in our cells, very metabolically active tissue that we build more of when we get great sleep. Now, the issue today is getting that great sleep. And there's tons of lifestyle factors, but there's also a nutrition component. And there's a study that was published in the journal Pharmacology, Biochemistry, and Behavior that found that the renowned medicinal mushroom reishi was able to, number one, significantly decrease sleep latency. This means you fall asleep faster when you have reishi. They also found that this increased overall sleep time for study participants. And they found that this increased the sleep efficiency by improving the non-REM deep sleep and improving our light REM sleep as well. This comprehensive approach to improving sleep, it's not pounding our sleep into submission, what we see with conventional drugs and things of that nature, where it's kind of like pseudo sleep. This is actually improving your sleep quality, your sleep efficiency by utilizing Rishi. Now, the only Rishi that I use is from Four Sigmatic because it's dual extracted, where they're doing an alcohol extract and a hot water extract. So they're actually extracting all of the nutrients from the mushroom that you think you're getting with Company X, all right? You're actually getting those compounds. With the hot water extract, you're getting the beta-glucan related compounds. And then with the alcohol extract, you're getting more of the hormonal compounds. And I think these are really important for sleep, like the terpenes and things in that category and so much more. So make sure to use foursigmatic.com forward slash model to get your hands on this and so much more. So that's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com forward slash model. You get 15% off their Rishi Elixir and all of their medicinal mushroom elixirs, coffees, hot cocos, and so much more. I love Four Sigmatic. I literally have them every single day, one of their different products. Today I had my Lion's Mane coffee mix. So, so good. And it has all of these benefits as well. If you're still drinking standard coffee, what are you doing? You need to get these benefits from the Four Sigmatic coffee mixes. Now, head over and check them out ASAP because these are absolutely game-changing. The coffee mix, great for in the morning, Rishi, great for in the evening and winding down. And they've got all of this research to back it up. And this is what it's all about, is having more education so that we're executing on the things that really do work, that have a clinically proven benefit, and we can actually enjoy ourselves and have a good time along the way. And again, that's foursigmatic.com forward slash model for 15% off everything. And now back to the show. All right, we are back and we're talking with New York Times bestselling author and the world's most interesting man, Jesse Itzler. And before the break, I talked about in the book, wrapping it all up, he received some insights that some of these he didn't even know he got at the time. And I want to go through a couple of these that really jump out. So the real world benefits of your time living with monks. And you've got this crazy life, this amazing life, and you took time to go and kind of isolate yourself and insulate yourself from the rest of the world. And one of those takeaways, you said it's, uh, and you got them in hashtags, hashtag dodge the arrows. Yeah. What does that mean? We just constantly every day have arrows coming at us, you know, things, requests for our time. Hey, hey Sean, man, can I, can I get you for 15 minutes? Just get a quick bite so I can understand this podcast game. And Sean, 
can you can I borrow a hundred dollars from you and da 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 and like you know we're just bombarded with arrows. Then we have those are arrows that come at us from people. Then we have arrows like our toilet breaks and we have to fix it or we save a lot of money, but then the roof leaks mm -hmm. and six months of savings. Now we got to go fix the roof and dodge the arrows just means creating a system where you can eliminate some of that. And I talk about it in the book, some, some of that noise, you know, and it gives you it just guidelines to say no boundaries to give yourself permission to say no to things. Yeah. Uh, so you can kind of regain control of, of time. Yeah. We, we talked, I'm going to put this in the show notes, talking specifically about saying no. This is something that over the last year, I've had to develop this muscle. We talked about it with James Altucher, and uh, he has a book called The Power of No. And especially with the finite amount of time we have here in this human experience, it's important to really invest in the things that light you up and that you're inspired about as much as you can. And so I think that's great advice, man. So what about, and this, I love this one, go where you think best. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I don't think, I think thinking is a lost art form, like I mentioned earlier. And for me, I, I realize that I think best in two places. I think great, very well on an airplane, staring out the window and daydreaming. That's where I get a lot of my goals. And that's where I just get clarity. No one can bother me on an airplane. I'm not getting phone calls on an airplane. I don't put my Wi-Fi on a lot of times on the airplane. So I don't just take fake flights just to think. But I appreciate that time and I use it for thinking. Also in a car, I like to drive and daydream. And the third for me has really been running. So wherever it is that you think best, it's just, it's important to spend a lot of time there yeah. because that's where you can often get clarity, make big decisions, get ideas. And you know, you don't, you're not gonna think great when you're in a crowded space with, at a bar. Right. So I try to put myself in a position where I think where I think best as often as I can. My wife thinks best in a car. She set up a fake commute. We live five minutes from Spanx, her headquarters, but rather than just drive five minutes to work, she set up a 40 minute fake commute so she can spend 40 minutes just thinking before she goes into the office. Wow, that's so smart, so smart. And something that we all can find creative ways to do. So I was surprised at this one and I haven't gotten to this one, this towards the end of the book, experience is overrated. I really, I'm curious why you put that one in here. Because it takes too long. People always think very often that they gotta get all this experience before they open their restaurant. Or I need all this experience before I start my you know, manu uh, apparel company. By the time you wait for your experience, eight other people are gonna be in the space. Right. Five other people are gonna launch your same exact idea. I'm a much bigger believer in getting your foot in the door and figuring it out as, a go as you go. You gotta start the process. Now listen, experience has its place. I'm not saying it doesn't. I just think it's an ex sometimes it's an excuse and it's way overrated. I had no experience in aviation. We started a private jet company with no airplanes, with no background. We built it to $5 billion in sales. I had no background, no background or experience in beverage. We sold Zico to, to, to Coca-Cola. I had no background in music. You don't, I never ran 100 miles. I had no background in that. You don't need experience. You need determination. You need passion and not passion for the product, passion for the process of whatever mm -hmm. or whatever it takes to get your goal. Yeah. That means people mistake passion. They think they have to have passion for their widget. 
You got to have passion for the process. That's the late nights. That's the sacrifice when everybody's at the bar, but you got to stay home and make emails. That's what you signed up for. If you don't have the passion for that, it's not going to happen. So you got to have, you know, you have, and I could see it in someone's eye. We sold this concept. We raised money for Marquee Jet, my private jet company. I started with my partner. Two guys with no experience, no airplanes, no rich friends, basically. We raised money because of one thing. Man, we had a look in our eye that said, no matter what, we are going to get, we are going to take your dollar and we're going to make it work. Mm -hmm. We're going to figure this out. The experience came over time, but we didn't wait to get the experience to go and do it. It would have never worked. Yeah, man. Love it. Love it. So what do you have out in front of you that you're in that process and experiencing that passion with? I try to bring my passion to everything. I try to bring it to this interview, everything. I'm just, like I said about, I don't need a a tragic incident to give me, to make me grateful. I feel so lucky I was born in this country with this opportunity. You know, we all have opportunity. There's so much that I want to experience. I look at my life like my enemy is the clock. I got so much that I want to do and my enemy is the clock. And the things I want to do, they don't cost a lot of money. I'm an outdoors guy. I like to climb mountains. I like to be outside. I like to swim in lakes. I can go to, I don't need to spend a lot of money to do that stuff. And that's my driver right now. My driver is I go into the third chapter of my life. I just turned 50. Go back to that 78 number. I hope it's not a real number. What's amazing is um, I just read that humans are wired for 120, but the average life expectancy of a human is 72 worldwide. So basically, on average, humans are leaving 50 years on the table. I want as many of those bonus years as I can get. But my MO is to spend as much time doing the things I love to do with the people I love to do them with. That's my whole thing, man. Love it. Love it. Let me ask you about one more of these. Uh, This monotask. What's that about? Hashtag monotask. Yeah, man. Um, I thought because I have a massive to-do list that the best way to get things done was to multitask. Okay, let me send out this thing right here, get on this interview right now, go and I got to do it. And I'm like a million miles an hour. I got it. And all I wanted to do was cross things off my list because it felt good to cross them off my list. When I was at the monastery, the monks didn't have a to-do list. They just had a do list. Whatever they were working on, they did it. There was no clock. They did it until it was 100% done to the best of their ability. And then they went on to the next task. They were always where their feet were. They were always present. And they really reinforced to me the importance of monotasking, doing one thing at a time, being where your feet are. I remember, and I'll give you an example just to put it in perspective. I remember when I was cleaning dishes at the monastery, you're gonna get to this chapter soon, and they just had a retreat, so they had all these. They had like 500 oh, yeah, I read dishes. This part. Crazy. Yeah, and I, they treated me like a pledge. So I'm cleaning all the dishes. They're all, you know, out doing their own thing, kicking reading, it. kicking it, you know, whatever. And I'm doing the dishes by myself, washing them and drying them. And I got like 450 dishes left. And one of the monks walks in. He's like, "How's it going?" I'm like, "Man, I'm never gonna finish this. I got 400 dishes, you know. I had nothing else to do, so I, it didn't really matter." <laughs> and he looked at me. He's like, "You don't have 400 dishes." you only have the dish that's in your hand. And I was like, wow, you're right. Let me get this dish clean. Now let me get grab the next dish. 
and let me get this dish clean. Instead of having to worry about how am I going to get to all 500, it's the same thing your friend's going to do when he runs his 100-mile race. Yeah. He doesn't have 100 miles. He has the moment that he's in right, right. now until he's, until he's done. That's that's so powerful, man. Wow. Dude, this is I I, I think this is an incredible book because of your ability to to tell the stories. <laughs> but you put on here and the cover says warning, explicit wisdom. And through the process, I think you were I don't know if you would agree with this, but like fighting the process. Yes. And then some things kind of so what has been your kind of spillover? since this experience that you've noticed specifically in your life that's that's different or improved as a result of your time there? We just talked about one of them a minute ago, and that's just saying no. You know, the, the importance of putting more things on my plate that I like to do and doing them with the people that I love to do them with. That's been really important. I realized right when I came home, at the monastery, all the decisions are taken away from you. You eat whatever they serve you. You eat when they give it to you. You wear one hour, one out. I showered once. You wear one outfit. Nothing matters. So all the decisions that we have day to day that we don't even think about, you know, what station should I put on the radio? What am I going to wear today? You know, what am I putting cologne on? Whatever. We don't. It just. We just do it. We don't even think about it. But they say the average American makes like thirty-five to fifty thousand decisions a day. That's exhausting. Okay. And when you eliminate some of those decisions, when they don't live in your head when you feel so overwhelmed with things in your head and you get them out and you put them on paper, get them out of your head, it frees up a tremendous amount of energy. Like by day six of the monastery, because I was making no decisions, I had boundless energy. I'm a high energy guy anyway. Right. Like cuckoo energy. Because I wasn't thinking about all the things I had to do in my to-do list and who I had right. to email. I didn't have to email anybody back. I'm off email. So when I tried to bring as, carry as much of that back into my modern life as I could when I came back. And that meant, you know, not being as attached to my phone so much, saying no, not feeling just because someone emails me, I got to respond to them instantly. Yeah. You know, like I get an email, if I don't respond in, in 20 minutes, I get a question mark back. Like, everything okay? <laughs> like, what do you mean, man? Like, I, I'm just, I just got out of the shower. I have, to, I have to respond to you. Why do I have to respond? To, just because you emailed me. Now you control my time and when I'm gonna respond back to you, I'm gonna stop what I'm doing with my son to respond to you. I can't wait till tomorrow, you know? So I just, I mean, I could talk for hours about this stuff, man, but yeah. I tried to create the life more around the way that I wanted to live it. Yeah, there's this new term in psychology called decision fatigue. Yeah. And so it's like, I like to look at it like a battery. I have it in my book. Really? Yes. So you got this, real. this battery and every decision you make, it's taking that battery down. And if you get down to E on your battery at the end of the day, you're not, first of all, the quality of your decisions goes down. That's a big thing. So you're deciding whether or not you're going to eat the the Haagen-Dazs or the you know, green smoothie. Man, I fully believe that. Yeah. And so also the the amount of pressure that it adds to you. Every decision we make, it it takes some glucose out of your brain. And your brain, even though it's like two pounds-ish, of your mass, it uses 25% of your calories because of all the processing and those decisions is slowly taken away. So I love that advice of trying to have some of the decisions that you, in your life that you do on a daily basis taken out 
You know, like what you're going to eat, for example, if you've got stuff kind of planned or somebody helps to put your meals together, I think that's huge. That's another reason people succeed that do the meal prepping. And so, wow, man, so many great insights. Can you let everybody know where they can, first of all, connect with you online? Yeah. Your your Instagram is awesome. Oh, man, thank you. Yeah, my Instagram is just my name, at Je- Jesse Itzler, J-E-S-S-E-I-T-Z-L-E-R. My website is jesseitzler.com. We keep it pretty simple. Um, the books are on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and anywhere they sell books, Living with the Seal and Living with the Monks. And, um, yeah, I got this cool Build Your Life resume course. If anyone wants to check it out, it's on my website. And I'm just appreciate you having me on, man. Oh, man, it's my pleasure. But before I let you go, I want to talk about one more thing that I'm loving is this fake Friday (laughs) that you're doing on Instagram. So can you tell people what that's about? Because I think it's, it's partially hilarious, partially messed up. (laughs) <laughs> and it's, it's yeah, so talk about that. <laughs> That's a good way to describe it. Um, I'm really passionate about, about food and the food system, and I think it's completely broken. And I'm really pissed off at um, Kellogg's right now, amongst others, because of some deceptive advertising around kids. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I basically challenged the CEO of Kellogg's to drink a glass, a small little glass of all the ingredients they put in like in like Fruit Loops and some of the cereals um, because it's got yellow, it's got blue one, yellow six, red 40, BHT, all of these ingredients that are banned. They're yeah. so dangerous. They're banned in many other nations, yet they're out there promoting this on the website to young kids as a healthy, nutritious breakfast. And uh, on their box, they're saying that, you know, Cheerios can lower your cholesterol or cure or reduce heart disease. Get out of here with that, man. So I challenged him $2 million if he would drink a small glass of all those ingredients for an entire school year, just like he's feeding the kids. Mm. And I feel like that's my cause. I feel like if you've been on this earth for 50 years and you haven't found something that you're passionate about, you know, I have a platform, man. I, I want to speak up about it because I would regret it if I didn't. Yeah. So that's that. That's what's up, man. I love that. So, Jesse, I think you're incredible. And like I said, you're carrying this with you forever now. You are the world's most interesting man. <laughs> and final question for you. What is the model that you're here to set for other people with how you live your life personally? I don't know, man. I, I, don't, I, I don't really want to tell anyone how to live. Here I am giving advice on how I live my life. That's how I live my life. I think it's important to have a system that works best for you, you know, but I'm a, my advice would be build your life resume. Your life resume is as important, if not more important than your business resume or anything else. If you have a chance to create a a memory or a moment or an experience, take advantage of it because you just don't know if you're going to get that again. And you don't want to wake up at 70 and be like, oh, I can't believe I, you know, I, I spent all my time in an office. I know you got to work. People got to make money. I'm not saying that, but you got to put things on your calendar that are experiential. You got to invest in experiences. Love it. Thank you so much, man. You're brilliant and funny, and your story is incredible and so inspiring. And I just, I can't wait to see what you do next, man. Thank you, so man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Cool. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. One of my biggest takeaways. Hashtag experience is overrated. I think that's one of the biggest things holding us back. We're waiting for the right conditions, 
we have to have this, we have to have this certification. You don't need a certification to help people, all right? You don't need to get a degree to do something good in the world. As a matter of fact, just that idea that you need experience holds you back from getting the experience. But it, and if you're honest with yourself, chances are there are places in your psyche where, you, where you're propping that up is a reason you're not taking action. All right, so definitely check out Jesse's book, Living with the Monks. It's such a great read and a lot of life lessons. We just went through a few of them. And uh, make sure to check him out on social media as well. And if you've got a lot of value out of this episode, please share it out with your friends and family on Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. And tag me, tag Jesse, let him know what you thought about the show. And we've got some incredible show topics coming up. So be ready. Take care. Have an amazing day. And I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you've got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.